Welcome to Strange Familiars. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing okay. Super excited about tonight's show. It's a hermit show. The title is The Living Ghost, so maybe people thought it was going to be a ghost show. But it's a hermit show. The old switcheroo. <laughs> the bait and switch. Well, this hermit was known as The Living Ghost. I had a postcard of him. Two postcards with images of him. You know, it's one of those guys is just, he was a hermit. You know, the postcard said, Hermit John Stink. And so that's an interesting name. I was pretty sure he was Native American just by looking at it. But beyond that, I didn't know much about him. Yeah, I got one postcard and then a second. I just kind of put him in my hermit collection. As I'm writing the book, the way I'm writing the hermit book is I'm just pulling out a picture from my collection. And some of the guys I know about already and some I don't. Some I have to look up. And then I look up, you see their story, and I kind of write about their story. Most of these guys and women, most of these people, have really interesting stories one way or another. Some sad, some not sad. It's almost like they're human beings. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. <laughs> I think but, everybody has a pretty interesting story if yeah, you dig some, in. Some of these folks, you can't find much of a story. Yeah. Right? And I've been surprised at how many actually do have stories, though, and how many of their stories were documented. Yeah, because if you just pick a random person in a photo that's identified, sometimes it's really difficult to find too much more about them than, like, they lived in right. such and such a town in such and such a year. But And there are a couple hermits who I couldn't find much information on. But this guy, like I said, I, you know, kind of put him aside. And when I pulled out his picture by random, I'm just, you know, as they come to the top of the pile or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'll write about this guy now. I started reading about him, like, oh, wow, what a story. What a story. John Stink, the living ghost. Before we get into that, though, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you so much for your support. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars, and you want to help, you can become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Our patrons get two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. Again, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. So before we get started talking about John Stink, I want to read a kind of caveat <laughs> here. Is this part of our normal historical caveat that yeah, we to deal with? it's going to be that plus, yeah. Okay. So, parsing truth from legend when it comes to John Stink may be nearly impossible. The information for this podcast was taken from a combination of online sources and newspaper articles from the time of John Stink's life. We wish to be respectful of Osage culture. It should be noted, therefore, that the legends attributed to John Stink and the Osage people may not reflect the actual beliefs of the tribe, as much of the information was being reported by white reporters and published in non-Indigenous newspapers. We would welcome someone from the Osage Nation to come on the show and discuss their culture and beliefs in terms of death, ghosts, and John Stink. I don't know if that would ever be possible, but thought we'd put that out there. As we often note, we will be reading newspaper articles from the early 1900s having to do with John Stink's life. Many of the terms in these articles would not be used today. The language and attitudes expressed in these newspapers did not represent our beliefs or those of strange familiars in general. Also, please forgive our pronunciation. As ever, we will do our best. It was said that Hotamoi lost his Osage name when he returned from the dead. His people shunned him, 
and refused to call him by his given name, which was said to mean Rolling Thunder, and dubbed him instead John Stink. Hotamoe's birthday is unknown. It is thought he was born sometime in the 1860s. The Osage Nation moved from Missouri to Northern Indian Territory, which is present-day Oklahoma, in 1872. By the 1890s, Hotamoe had moved to the outskirts of Pawhuska, Oklahoma, the capital of the Osage Nation. How Hotamoe died, and indeed how many times he was taken for deceased, is unclear. Is it possible that he returned to life more than once? Although the story of Hotamoe dying and returning to life was being printed in newspapers as early as 1902 and possibly earlier. The Lawton News Republican from Lawton, Oklahoma, gives the first somewhat detailed account that I could find, as published on January 11, 1906. Was buried but arose the same day. Judge B.M. Parmenter who spent a few days in Pawhusky recently, tells an Indian story that is unsurpassed in the annals of Indian lore and superstition in Oklahoma. Some time ago, John Stink, an unfortunate, half-deformed member of the Osage tribe, became afflicted with some sort of disease and was so rapidly emaciated that his friends with their characteristic superstitious foreknowledge declared that he could not live. At length, he became unconscious and limp, and they pronounced him dead. They hauled his body, yet warm and limber, outside the limits of the town, scooped out a shallow grave, and buried him, throwing barely enough dirt upon him to hide the body from view. That same evening, John Stink regained consciousness, shuffled off his shallow dirt covering, arose, and walked back into town. Some Indians observed him coming up the street and became frightened, almost in a panic. The news spread among the tribe, and they declared that it was the spirit of Stink, for he had surely died and was buried. They feared him and avoided him, and to this day he is an outcast, homeless and friendless among his people. They yet look upon him as a spirit, yet believing the real man dead and in his grave. Stink strolls about the town during the day and talks to no one. When evening comes, he curls up in an old blanket at the entrance of an old trading store and sleeps. One may pass that way any night or at any time of night and observe him. Every morning he goes into a little grocery and gets crackers and cheese for his breakfast. He never associates with anybody, and nobody has any sort of dealings with him. The Muskogee Daily Phoenix and Times Democrat from Muskogee, Oklahoma, told a somewhat different story less than two weeks later. This article was published on January 24, 1906. And this one is entitled, Outcast of the Osages. The story of old John Stink, who is characterized as the evil spirit. He was buried alive, regained consciousness while Medicine Man was chanting the last ceremonies and caused the Indian to flee in terror. Which you don't know, old John Stink. Why, everybody in Pawhuska and everybody in the Osage Nation knows John. No, you don't know him? Well, then I'll tell you about him, said Ian Yuri the other evening while sitting in the lobby of the Turner smoking a good cigar. Twenty-five years ago, John was one of the most distinguished Indians of his tribe. He was brave, proud, a good fighter, and a good hunter, and had all the proclivities which go to make up an Indian of above-the-average type. There was nothing in the tribe too good for him. Although he was but 25 years old, he was often consulted by the wise men in the tribe on questions of importance which arose. But today he is an outcast, hated by his people and characterized by them as the evil spirit. Why, do you say? Merely because he was taken ill one day and swooned away. There was much mourning among the members of the tribe, and especially one Indian maiden who had fallen in love with John. John was buried for dead, but before the medicine man had completed his ceremonies, John sat up, rubbed his eyes, and spoke. The Indians fled in terror from the grave, and John was obliged to crawl to the home of a white settler to get food with which to nourish his body back to its normal strength. From that day on, John was an outcast. His name was not Stink, but he was named that by the Indians. Not an Osage on the reservation will have anything to do with him. They will not even look at him. The white settlers built him a house on the reservation, and several years ago it was burned to the ground by the other Indians, and John barely escaped with his life. He is now fed by the merchants and white men in Pawhuska. He is a proud old fellow. He wears a blanket of the highest color, a fine hat with a real loud feather, and struts about the town as if he owns it. When night comes on, he gathers his blanket about him and sleeps on the sidewalk in front of a certain store. 
He's been an outcast so long and called a devil and one of the evil spirits that the old man really believes it himself. He not only believes it, but glories in it. He has a number of favorite loafing places about town where he sits for hours alone smoking his pipe with a grave and lonesome look upon his regular face. For 25 years he is not associated with his own people. This is the most peculiar thing I have ever heard, but it's true, every word of it. So you're already getting a hint of like, I guess the outright racism, the Indians are superstitious, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, even down to the fact that um, they talk about him sleeping outside of a general store, almost as if he is the, the living embodiment of, you know, like at the time it was very common to have a quote unquote wooden Indian outside of a store. Oh, I didn't place that. Yeah, that is actually true, though. There are photos of him oh, he <laughs> outside, really did sleep sleeping outside, outside that Okay, store. all right. That, but I just thought that was maybe just like a racist stereotype that among all the other ones. Yeah. So I think what you can typically glean are sort of the skeletons of a story, right. even if it's shrouded in all of this right. historically racist junk. So this is the same year, and this is the next month. This is February 1906 from the Fort Worth Record and Register. It's yet another account. And this one is entitled John Stink, Outcast. Strange story of Osage who refuses to sleep under shelter. During the coldest night of the winter, John Stink, a full-blood Osage, was induced to sleep in the office of the Capitol Hotel. It is perhaps the first time he has spent a night under the roof of a hotel or dwelling house for many years. It is certain that it is the first time this winter, despite the exceeding cold. This Indian is a peculiar character, and therefore the reason for his living out of doors. As an Osage, he is possessed of considerable wealth, yet he is the poorest person in the world. He is nearly 50 years old and has no relatives. He is an outcast among his tribe. He is supposed by his tribesmen to be possessed of an evil spirit, and for this, every Indian shuns him as a viper. This antipathy has existed for years, and as the story goes, has arisen from a burial of John for dead and his coming back to life again. After an illness that lasted for a long time, his tribesmen thought him dead, and he was buried according to the primitive customs of the Osages. This was to cover the body with stones to a sufficient depth to prevent the wolves from getting to it, and he was placed on the top of a hill used for a burying ground, and the stones piled over him. But he was not dead. His strength returned and he was able to wriggle out from among the stones and eventually recovered. Since that time, no Indian will have anything to do with him. He beats about in the country surrounding Pahusky, camping under the trees and sleeping in sheltered nooks about town when he is here, but always refusing to sleep under a roof. The night when he was induced to sleep in the hotel office, it was bitterly cold, and the old Indian had wandered about until he was almost frozen, when some white men almost forced him to go into the hotel and stay. The night before he had slept out of doors under a big tree... He had a big fire and only a little clothing. He seems able to endure a wonderful amount of exposure, and this old Indian seems to have absolutely no aim in life, no hope, no pleasure. He is simply existing until the end. Once again, we're just reading the articles from the time to get some semblance of the story, and you know, we kind of apologize for the, the attitudes yeah. uh, expressed. There's a lot of white saviorism going on here. This article is from the Coffeeville Daily Journal. I thought you might like to live in Coffeeville. Especially in the mornings. <laughs> <laughs> the Coffeeville Daily Journal, Coffeeville, Kansas, October 2nd, 1907. Going back to tribe, outcast for many years, died and came to life. John Stink's wife and tribesmen declared he was an evil spirit and drove him away. John Stink the Indian outcast, who was supposed to have died many years ago and came to life again, was photographed the other day for the first time. Many attempts have been made to get a good picture of this strange old Indian, and the one obtained was secured only after considerable difficulty. The official interpreter at Pahuska told the old man that arrangements were well underway to have the tribe taken back into full fellowship, and that he would take him to the last powwow to be held at Collinsville during the week beginning October 14th, when the ceremony would be closed. When John was apprised of this good news, he agreed to sit for a photograph. He said his people had always believed him to be the evil spirit of himself, and that his death more than 25 years ago was not death but a trance. 
The old outcast talked freely about the strange case and expressed a willingness to meet old Geronimo, Lone Wolf, and other noted chieftains at Collinsville next month. The story of John Stink is probably the most romantic that has ever been told. He died and was buried and in three days came to life. His wife and children mourned his death. His villagers and relatives wept over his dead body until the afternoon of the third day. After midnight, the old man knocked on his wife's door for admission, and when the woman asked who was knocking, John answered in a weak but clear tone. The good wife recognized the voice but screamed and ordered him away. She said it was not the flesh and blood of her departed husband, but an evil spirit that had entered his body. Early next morning, a hasty council was called. John was summoned to appear before the wise men of the tribe to explain his death and resurrection, and he told them that he was conscious during the time they placed his body on the platform which was their manner of burial, but was unable to move or utter a sound. He explained to the wise men that he was not dead, but was willing to abide by their decision in any case. The tribe made him an outcast. The trial lasted all day, and when the leading tribesmen gave their decision, it was to the effect that John Stink was dead and buried and that an evil spirit had entered his body. Orders were given that would forever banish the poor man from his tribe, and he at once left for the hills and woods. He lived as an outcast, shunned by his tribe, his wife, and former friends. He has not slept under a roof for more than a quarter of a century. Geronimo, the old Apache war prisoner, and other famous chieftains among the blanket Indian tribes have requested the Osage to bring John Stink before them at the last great council in Powell, and there publicly accept him into full fellowship. The ceremony will probably be the saddest event ever witnessed by the Indians of the Southwest. I don't know about that. The Ponca City Daily Courier from Ponca City, Oklahoma, on November 17, 1908, had John Stink dying three times. They also give another Osage name for him, but I don't think it's correct because Hotamoe is the one that seems to be used, or some form thereof, Mm -hmm. most often. This is the only place that this name appears, so I don't think it's correct. Old John Stink again, the famous Osage oddity who was three times buried. The following story of Old John Stink, the famous Osage Indian, is being printed by the papers again. Of all the queer Osage Indians, Kantani, alias John Stink, takes the first premium. Like most members of the richest tribe on earth, he is worth not less than $50,000. He, however, lives on cheese and crackers and other edible, readily cooked foods. He sleeps on the ground all the year round, sometimes between high rocks on Mount Dial, sometimes he crawls under a straw stack. He is never seen without his blanket and with his hat under his right arm, having a 60 years old head covered or bandaged with a handkerchief. John Stink shuns the full blood Osages and never talks with them, and they do the same with him, being considered a supernatural ghost. John was very eccentric from his very babyhood. He is the only known old bachelor of the Osage tribe. He never liked the women, and the Osage females always either hated him or made fun of him. The worst, however, came when he apparently died three different times during the last three years. The dead stink was taken onto the pinnacle of a rocky hill, and a sort of stone house was built around him. There were plenty of air holes in the rude sepulchre, so that John could inhale fresh air as soon as he recovered from his protracted swoons. He managed to get out of his grave and walk to Pahuska in search of something to eat and all those that had been at his funeral fled when they saw the dead Indian alive. Great fear came upon all the older, more superstitious Osages when they saw the resurrected Kotani. They ran from him as though he were old Satan himself. He is the most absolute hermit of wealthy Osage County and the most dreaded member of the animal kingdom in and around beautiful Pahuska. It seems that he likes to sleep on dear, often cold and damp Mother Earth. The stars and fireflies are his only lights by night. He isn't afraid of coyotes, dogs, or wildcats, but is said that he considers the varmints his brothers and sisters, having no relations among mankind. Next time Mr. Stink really or temporarily dies, the Osages will, no doubt, not try to pile racks around the body until the corpse is either stone dead or rises before the funeral ceremonies have taken place. So what I think is interesting is that there's no one story. The only story is that He dies and comes back. He's sick with some sort of illness. And the stories just change. Like, there's completely, not completely different, but different enough from all these different accounts. I love how they've, like, taken him to become sort of like a a biblical story, right? 
Yes, and we'll get to that more in a second. Absolutely. I'm not surprised you picked up on that. This is an excerpt from an article published in the Daily Ardmorite, Ardmore, Oklahoma, May 31st, 1914. Many years ago, Stink got drunk and fell by the roadside. A party of Osages found him apparently dead. They built a crude mausoleum of stones, and in this they laid his body. Then they went their way and told that Stink had been found dead, and that they had fittingly buried him after tribal custom. Stink, however, soon slept off his stupor, and bursting through the stone burial pile, walked into Pawhuska. The Osages believed that his body was dead and that his spirit was walking the earth, and from that day on, no Osage has addressed either a word of greeting or a curse of anger to Stink, and the white citizens soon came to follow their example. The Wichita Beacon from Wichita, Kansas, reported on July 13, 1915, that it was a beating that was responsible for John Stink's apparent death. Otomoe was left an orphan at the age of 10, and two aunts undertook to bring him up as best they could. The result was that the boy fell into bad company and got into trouble. The Osage law officers tried and convicted him for several violations of the law and sentenced him to 100 lashes. Instead of giving him the usual treatment, the officers used large clubs, and the result being that Otomoe was beaten into a pulp and left to die. Several days afterwards, a cowboy found the lad crawling on hands and knees to a stream of water. He was taken to a ranch, and after careful nursing, he was able to leave after a week or so. He was next seen emerging from a cave where he lived in winter. He has since that time lived in the woods. Here's your biblical stuff. I noticed that too. So in this article, he's emerging from a cave after being, you know, dead. Yeah, and the other article, instead of saying it was like later on that day that it came back, it was three days three later. Three days later, right? yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Definitely echoes of some biblical stuff there. The Wichita Eagle in 1919. So we're going all the way from, like I said, I found mentions of this story in 1902. Mm -hmm. The first kind of detailed account that I could find is 1906. We're all the way up into 1919 now, and they're still telling versions of this story. So this and is, is from, he still alive at this point? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is from the Wichita Eagle in 1919. That's a, yet another okay. version of his death and resurrection. And again, they slightly change his name at different times. So. Yeah. Otimaha, which is John Stink's real name when he was a young man, was one of the sub-chiefs of his tribe. Attacked by a siege of fever, he lay in a state of coma for days and was finally pronounced dead by tribal medicine men. He was buried on one of the Indian burial racks, but recovered sufficiently to disentangle himself from the shroud, and he found himself an outcast from the tribe, shunned and hooted at. Once dead, always dead, is an Indian motto. He managed to subsist on berries and small game, an outcast from his very home. Finally, the white man came, and when the Osage rolls closed, John was given equal share with the rest. To the agent, John insisted that he didn't want money. All he wanted was to be left alone. All right, said the agent, I'll give you a guardian. If you want grub, tobacco, blanket, you will go to him. And so F.W. Farrer, pioneer Indian trader and merchant of Pahuska, was named as guardian for John. And the name John Stink came from the fact that the Indians passed by him as they would a bad smell. I believe that Farrar, Farrar, <laughs> Farrar, Harfarrar, <laughs> I believe that F.W. Farrar guy was a real person. I think it was his store that John Stink used to sleep outside of. Oh, okay. And that's the postcards that have him uh, sleeping outside the store and photos of him, I believe, are outside that guy's store. He wasn't actually kind of taking advantage of him. He The Farrar guy. Yeah. As far as I know, he treated John Stink in good faith and did right by him, as far as I know. And so we're, um, I don't know if you're going to talk about this right now, but they're talking about how wealthy he is and the Osage peoples. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? It comes up again later in the outline, but yeah, w what happened was there was an oil strike in the early 1900s on Osage land. And they were, at that time, I believe, considered the wealthiest people in the world because of this oil strike. They all got money. It was kind of, they made sure everybody and the Osage Nation actually got kind of a, a regular stipend. Oh, okay. 
And I think this Farrar guy was actually just sort of making sure John Stink got that money. The Morning Tulsa Daily World from Tulsa, Oklahoma, printed another version on October 19th, 1919. Now, they admitted this was a fictitious account, but it is one of the stories that had gone around about John Stink. And this is entitled, Everyone Knows John Stink. John is famous over Oklahoma for his eccentricity. Wild tales are told of his history, and among them, the following, which all residents of Pahuska discredit. It's said that John at one time was a chieftain and led by his warriors in battle with the Creeks. In the melee, John was wounded and stunned and was buried according to custom beneath a pile of rocks, having been judged dead. Three days later, being a man of great strength, he regained consciousness, threw off the rocky grave, and returned to the tribe. But the tribe refused to admit John to the confines of the camp. Its members believed him to be a spirit, and as such he was barred from association with those of his race. He had always detested the white man, and upon being cast out of his race, went into seclusion and has since lived with a number of precious hounds as his only company. In January of 1926, this syndicated article by Bruce Catton appears in a bunch of papers. You can find them in papers all across the United States, including papers in Pennsylvania and so forth. And this tells yet another story of John Stink. Again, we're in 1926 now. This is like 20 years after that, the, the first story we read. They're still telling the story about him. There's an evil spirit that stalks abroad on the barren, windswept hills of Osage County. An evil spirit that returned from the grave to confuse and alarm honest, law-abiding Indians, and to figure as principal character in the idziest tragic comedy the West has known in many a day. Okay, we don't know. We were just having a discussion of this. That I don't know what that word Id- means. Idziest must be a term from the time. You know, from I the apologize if it has some horrible meaning that we don't know about. Yeah, which it's is entirely possible. It's ab- yeah, absolutely possible. So many of these articles do. Again, we apologize. We're just reading the articles to try to get the sense of the story of John Like Stink. Which things emerge as close to the right. a factual account. This evil spirit is, or used to be, as the Indians say, an Indian who rejoiced in the name of Hotumoe. This name being a bit cumbersome, he was dubbed plain John Stink, and is so known throughout the Osage County. John Stink was a peaceable, decent sort of chap who never molested anyone until one fatal night a few years ago, when a mutual friend introduced John to a bottle of white mule. The mule's kick would have derailed a Santa Fe freight, and the clay vessel that houses John Stink's spirit is no stronger than anyone else's. White mule is moonshine, by the way. Oh, okay, did not know that. Makes sense, contextually. John went under the table and stayed there. Next morning, John Stink failed to come to, and after the usual tribal restoratives had been applied, he was pronounced dead by a caucus of the elders and a funeral was organized. John was carried to a barren hill, placed in a sitting position near a huge rock, and gently covered with small stones, brush, and the like. But John Stink was not dead. He was only boiled just a wee bit harder than usual, and so the next morning he awoke to find himself sitting among the rock pile and possessed of a great hunger, a powerful headache, and a thirst of the type that moves mountains. John extricated himself with difficulty and headed for camp. In the chill dawn, he came over the horizon. The women were cooking breakfast, and one look at John Stink, who had been laid to rest only yesterday, was enough. The howl they let out was heard up in Wichita, and it was noon before they stopped running. The camp was left utterly deserted, save for John Stink, who proceeded to refresh himself on the whole tribe's breakfast. But Indians are hard folk to convince, and the tribesmen would not come back. John Stink had died and been buried, and that was all there was to it. If he stalked about and talked and ate, it was only proved that he was a ghost, and ghosts are no more popular in Osage County than anywhere else. So John Stink became an exile, a friendless wanderer over the barren hills, and he erected a little tent in an almost inaccessible section of the county and lived there the life of a hermit. Five or six lanky dogs kept him company, and they were the only creatures who would associate with him. The Indians shunned him, shunned him to this day. John Stink used to come into Pawhuska to buy supplies, but once his five dogs came in with him and were shot by the unfeeling police, so John declared a boycott on Pawhuska. He never leaves his lonely camp, and if anyone approaches, he flees immediately. 
A white man, the only man who has talked with John since his funeral, brings him his food and other necessities twice a week. No Indian will go near him. To them he is still a ghost. He was dead and buried, and that ends it. So John Stink lives alone with his dogs. We're up to 1932 now. They're still telling his... Is John Sting still alive? He is. Wow. They're still telling his story. In 1932, the Daily Oklahoman reported that tuberculosis was responsible for John Stink's death or death-like state. 35 years ago, John Stink was a young man in his 30s living near Fairfax. He was sick with tuberculosis. One day, friends finding him stiff and still in his blankets carried him out on a hill, laid him on top of the ground, Indian fashion, with his shield and medicine mysteries under his head and bow and trophies at his side, and covered him over with rocks and left him. One more Indian gone to happy hunting ground. But John Stink was not off for the chase. There were more squirrels for him in the tree in the Oklahoma woods. Arousing from the state of coma, his friends had mistaken for death and buried him. He arose, shook off the rocks, gathered up his shield, bow, and trophies, and tramped back to his cabin. Dying might have been hard for John Stink, but coming back to life was a lot harder. The first Indian he met on his return from the grave turned and ran at the sight of him. This puzzled him, but he learned what was wrong when he stopped at a neighbor's house to borrow a pipe of tobacco. The neighbor also ran. Sick and lonely, all the Indians believing him to be a ghost would have nothing to do with him. John was forced to leave his home and made his way to Pahaska, where he succeeded in convincing the people at the trading post he was real enough to need food. He took up residence in the alley at the back of the trading post, an outcast, his only friends, five mongrel dogs, which ate with him and slept with him. And when the weather was bad, he slept in a goods box provided by the kindly trader. But most of the time he slept out on the open ground. On April 7, 1938, the Kansas City Star attributed John's apparent death to smallpox. John's name was not always Stink. The agency records here list his correct name as John Hotamoe, which means John Go After Fish. These same records give his birth year as 1863, which would make him presently age 75, but no one is sure that if that is correct. He may be over 80. When he was a youth, however, John was stricken with smallpox an epidemic which decimated the Indian tribes in the West, and he received a shock which has lasted all of his life. The Indians had a method of treating smallpox as well as other diseases, which was heroic, if not efficacious. The sufferer was placed in a little wickiup of willow withes and blankets. A jar of water was placed inside with him, and red hot stones dripped into the water so that the interior of the wickiup became filled with steam. The patient stood there as long as possible, then burst out and plunged into the nearest stream, as in the case of John, who was doused with cold water to bring his temperature down. In the instance of John, the sudden splash of icy water on his superheated body, coupled with his weakness due to illness, caused him to faint and became rigid in a coma. The other Indians gathered around, examined him, and decided, John is dead. They laid him out on a hillside in the woods while they returned to the village to divide his property. John had a herd of valuable ponies, and these had just been distributed among his surviving relatives and friends, when John himself appeared in the village, haggard, hollow-eyed, and reeling. He approached his friend, who regarded him with distaste. I am alive, he told them. No, they said, John Stink. There is an ugly rumor the Osages were the most willing to believe in John's ghosthood because of the fact that they did not desire to return his ponies. Anyway, he was officially a spook, his ponies were not returned, and his name became John Stink. In an understandable irritation, he walked out of the village and refused to return, and to this day, he refuses to admit relationship or friendship to any Osage. So there's a website called the Paul Huska Guide, and... They note that Hotamoe was found in a snowbank, unconscious, 
by nuns from the Sisters of Loretto Catholic School. He was thought to have frozen to death, but revived a short time later. And I'm not sure if this is an additional death yeah. or this is explaining what happened originally. His, yeah, his original death and resurrection. The interesting thing about all of these are these death rumors. And we often say this, you know, about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Only one needs to be true, right? There's all these different versions of the story. Only one needs to be true for him to have died and come back to life. Now, do I think he died and came back to life? I think he was probably, if the story is true at all, he was probably in some kind of coma mm-hmm. and shook out of it and, and came back. In almost every version of the story, the recurring theme is that upon returning from the dead, Hotamoe is stripped of his Osage name, dubbed John Stink, and shunned by his people. The Minneapolis Journal from June 27, 1906, stated, From that day to this, no Osage has ever spoken to John Stink. Twice he has built himself a house, but the Osages burned both of them declaring that, as he was a familiar demon, he ought to live in the air. There's a lot of mystery around John Stink. But what do we know about the actual man? He was an imposing guy. He stood over six feet tall. Back in the 18... Late 1800s. Late 1800s, early 1900s. I usually use the Civil War for reference. I think the the average soldier during the Civil War male was about 5'8". Yeah. I mean, this goes back earlier than the Civil War, of course, but we were at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and we were looking at the armor. and It's tiny. It is tiny. It is so tiny. It looks like like a really thin... It's like a 12-year-old. It's like like (laughs) armor for children. So, So, yeah, he was six feet tall. He always wore this bandana kind of tied around his head, a large knife tucked into his belt, and a lot of pictures you see him, he has a cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's often seen with that. He apparently enjoyed a cigar. The way the articles, some of them, mm-hmm. portray him either as a simpleton or handicapped, um, either mentally handicapped or physically handicapped or both, we talked about this in other hermit shows in the way that, even going back to the first one, when we talked about William Woodruff, about how so many of the articles refer to him as Billy. Mm-hmm. And you said it's kind of a way of almost like infantilizing him. Yeah, it's really patronizing. I think the same thing is happening here. I think all of this was primarily because of the way he chose to live, which is a mystery to people, right? Hermits are always a mystery to people. Why does someone choose to live away from people? Juxtaposed with that is there's frequently a a similar sort of echo narrative, which talks about how the person fell from some amazing grace or amazing love. Right. Where like the person had a ton of money or he was, you know, in some of the articles, you know, he was um, a chieftain. Right. Yeah. Great warrior. A great warrior. Yeah, Yeah. So I think people look for these reasons to kind of explain hermits. For whatever reason, he chose to shun people whether that was his life experiences or just Mm -hmm. his personality. Some Mm -hmm. people just like to be by themselves. We don't know. We don't know how many of these stories were created around him. I don't think he was like this kind of simpleton that some of the articles portray him as. He was able to own land. He was able to farm his land. I think he chose to live the way he wanted to live. And so in the one article, it talks about his wife. He never had a wife, right? Not to my knowledge. I did find an interesting note. Uh, It's just one note in the paper. And they said that he was one of the, this is a quote, foremost weather prophets of the area. So I guess if they wanted to know what the planning season would be like coming up, maybe they consulted him. Again, doesn't sound like someone who didn't have wits about him. Mm -hmm. For whatever reasons, John Stink chose to live by himself. For years, he could be seen sleeping on the streets of Paul Huska. He was not poor. As we said, in the early 1900s, a huge oil strike was found on Osage land. For a time, they were thought to be the wealthiest people in the world. Royalty payments were given out to all the Osage people, including John Stink. He could have lived anywhere he wanted. He could have built a mansion. He preferred to sleep under the stars or in a tent, always with his beloved pet dogs. At some point... A house was built for John. I think it might have been that for our guy. Mm-hmm. He refused to live inside. He wouldn't even let his dogs live inside the house. And he claimed that 
the white man's house made him sick, according to the article I read. So until 1914, John Stink was often seen around Pawhuska gathering supplies. Like I said, sometimes he slept in front of that one store. There was a rabies outbreak in the early 1900s, and they passed a muzzle law that went in effect for all dogs in town, except John Stink's dogs. They actually said John Stink's dogs are exempt. Kind of a beloved figure around town to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I just think that was neat. Like, like, Mm -hmm. like all dogs must be muzzled, except John Stink's. He's good. He's got it under control. John Stink's dogs are good. One day in 1914, an off-duty city marshal shot John's dogs. Now, accounts vary. Some say he killed two, but other accounts have him killing as many as seven of John's dogs. What was the provocation for that? The lawman said he thought John Stink was being attacked by the canines. But John and his dogs were well-known around the town, well-known enough. Like I said before, Mm -hmm. they said this muzzle law does not apply to him or his dogs. He was well-known. It's hard to believe this lawman didn't know who John Stink was. Mm -hmm. The Pawhuska Capitol printed an article. Now, this is attributed to John Stink in which he describes the incident. We'll talk more about if it really was John Stink or not. This is supposedly John Stink writing this article. On last Friday evening, an unlucky day, as the sun was sinking in the west, while wending my lonesome, well-defined and trodden path from the city to nature's unpretentious couch on Bird Creek, happy, in love with nature, and with my splendid dumb friends frisking at my feet, the unnamed officer tracked and waylaid me just beyond Bird Creek Bridge, and without warning, with premeditation and cold-blooded and unfailing barbarism and brutal roughness, pointed and fired and continued to fire the deadly lead from repeating rifles into the frightened but loyal friends, believing I was being attacked. As the poor unprotected creatures scurried back and forth around my feet in an effort to protect me until the fiendish work was completed and my friends lay quivering in the dust, their lifeblood fast ebbing forth. Since the massacre of my faithful companions almost one week ago, I have fasted and mourned and have not visited the city since that fatal hour. I cannot bear to visit my old haunts and have wandered the country famishing and despondent like a lost traveler in the great Sahara or an abandoned soul in hell. Now, I don't think that was actually written by John Stink. Not that he couldn't have written it, but Mm -hmm. there was a series of articles, like opinion pieces, Mm -hmm. printed in this paper that were attributed to John Stink. I think it was just a newspaper writer using a popular local character Mm -hmm. to kind of write these opinion pieces. And occasionally he would write about things that actually happened in John Stink's life, sort of in the character of John Stink. But, you know, I think there's truth to that article. And in fact, John vowed never to return to Paul Huska because of this. Oh, what happened? Because of what happened to the dogs? Because this lawman shot all his dogs. And as far as I can tell, but for one visit late in life, he held to this. He left and didn't come back. The Los Angeles Times reported that Stink had, quote, after the custom of his people, gone into the hills, plastered himself with mud from the bed of a stream, mourning the dogs, which for years followed him like a child follows his parents. I don't know how true that is, but... I believe it's true that he did leave Pawhuska and did not come back. There were reports in the paper that he was missing for some time. The newspapers actually seemed kind of concerned, like nobody's seen John Stink. Where did he go? Where did he go? Eventually, I think it was a month or two later, he was located along the banks of Mud Creek where he had set up a new camp. After some time, the oil allotments allowed John to purchase some property. Again, I think this speaks to him just wanting to be left alone. He surrounds the property with a high barbed wire fence. Mm -hmm. And there are actually some photos of him standing at the fence. You could see his knife tucked in his belt and everything. His land was beside the Pawhuska County Golf Course. And they said he would stand and just watch these golfers and just laugh at them. Just like, (laughs) what a ridiculous thing, you know? I did find an article that noted he was growing mezcal beans on his property. They are an intoxicant and a hallucinogen, sometimes used for ritual purposes. I mean, are they related to mescaline? No, it's just oh, okay. a coincidence. Okay. Uh, I think mescaline is what in peyote? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just it's a similar name, basically. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, John Stink gradually 
acquired a pack of new dogs. The saying was that if there was any stray that found its way to John Stink's doorstep, he found itself a new home. Aww. Which is sweet, yeah. At some point, he bought an automobile, but he never learned to drive. He, oh, they, I love that. <laughs> they said he would just sit inside the parked car, treated it as kind of furniture. What year was that? The teens? He would have bought the car in the 20s or early 30s, probably. There are occasional notes of other people driving John's car, like driving him in his car. <laughs> but apparently he never drove it. Even though they've painted this picture of this imposing guy that you know was an outcast and a loner, he was actually quite generous. He donated $1,000 to help build the Osage American Legion hut. He gave $1,000 to each of the local churches. In 1916, Sister Jerome Schaub of the Ursuline Sisters of Paola in Osage, Kansas, came to Oklahoma to look for students for the Ursuline Academy. She meets John Stink, and he gave her a bunch of money to help pay for tuition and education of girls attending the school. In April of 1938, John Stink fell and broke his leg. At this time, he was thought to be 75 years old. He He could have been older, though. He could have been. He struggled to recover from the injuries. He developed pneumonia. And on September 16th, 1938, he dies for good, as far as we know. More than a thousand people attended John Stink's funeral. I doubt there's that many people in Pawhuska, are there? Yeah, it was said just like, it was, you know, this very, very popular event. They placed in one hand a cigar and in the other his rosary, which he had had since childhood. So had he been sent to a residential school or something? Like, why? How, where did his interaction with the Catholic faith happen? There's a lot of Catholics among the Osage, oh. or at least there was at this time. So that was not unusual. It was said that as he was laying there for the viewing or whatever, that two of his dogs refused to leave the coffin. They just laid Aww. right there by him. This is like his Toby. Yeah. His body was placed in the Pawhuska Mausoleum. Now it said... Only the wealthiest people in Pawhuska are interred there. Financially, I guess he, he did all right. Plus, there's a, there tends to be this other angle of, like, local celebrity. Yeah. Where people might fear hermits, and they make up these elaborate backstories, but there's also an element of, like, hey, have you seen him? And also, like, he's ours. Yeah. Right? He's our guy. Like, some of these towns really kind of embrace him. So there's one legend I did find of John Stink's dogs. You'd think there'd be ghost stories about John Stink. He was the living ghost. But some people in the area say that the spirits of John Stink's dogs can still be heard sounding ghostly howls across the hills outside of Pawhuska. And I say, maybe they're waiting for their master's return again. What do you think John Stink was sick with initially? I don't know. I don't know. Just, I mean, could have been any sort of fever that could have overtaken somebody. Yeah. I I think I'm, I'm thinking of that scene in Deadwood where they drag the guy out to the woods. Oh, with, he had smallpox. He had yeah. smallpox. And then miraculously, he walks back into town like a week later. Yeah, they left people, him for dead. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I have that in my head, but I'm like, well, maybe it was smallpox. But I think that's just it. I mean, you know, we read, I, what, 10 different versions of things that, that may or may not have killed him. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones I could find. You know, maybe there's others out there. So is there any idea of, like, what he was doing before this happened? Like, in some accounts, he was not well-liked or accepted ahead of time. Right. No, we don't know. My guess is there is some indication that he moved with his parents when they moved the Osage Nation from, I think it was Missouri and Kansas, kind of down to Oklahoma. Okay. To what was... I mean, some of these articles are early enough where Oklahoma isn't even a state yet. It's, it's coming from what they call it, Northern Indian Territory or something. It was like... Oh, okay. So I think he he kind of shows up. He kind of moves to the area and just shows up in Paul Huska one day, I think. But I don't know. I mean, there's, there's really no clear record of his youth or anything. It's like, you know, how was he introduced to Catholicism? I don't know, other than I know there was... Catholicism was not uncommon among the Osage people at that time. You know, there was a Catholic element. But it's such a fantastic story, right? And how much of it is legend, how much of it is truth, I don't know. I know 
There's been stories about them printed in Western magazines that kind of retell the story, modern Western mm-hmm. magazines that retell the story. Uh, lots of websites retell one version of the story or another, including, like I said, the Pawhuska Guide. But which is the real story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever know, but we're left with this legend. Went from just like, oh, cool, like another hermit to right up to the top of my hermit list, you know, not the very top. <laughs> That always goes to the first guy, William Woodruff. But uh, John Stink, I really love the story. I like that you get these legends and then you get these facts that show, like, there's something else going on here. Like, he was a generous guy. He donated all this money. I mean, $1,000 yeah, at much. that time. Mm-hmm. Very generous. Yeah, very, very generous. And, you know, he's paying tuition for people and, and stuff. It's really neat. So, Weren't there other hermits that had money that were very generous when they died? They had actually made wills. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem is there's, like, you almost hate to, it doesn't matter anymore because all these guys are are past now. But so many of these hermits had legends that they had, you know, money buried in their Mm -hmm. backyard and stuff that a lot of them got robbed and stuff because people just, you know, these these stories would go out like, oh, he's actually really wealthy, even though he just lives in a shanty up there. Like Nelson Raymar. Yeah. He lives in, in the holler, but he's got tons of money. Right. In John Stink's case, it happened to be true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like he didn't have the money on him, though. He had that guy, you know, yeah. manage his money for him. So, yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, John Stink will be in my Hermit book, which is forthcoming, I don't know, hopefully this year. Hopefully I get it out this year. Along with many, many more Hermits, we'll cover some more as we go on here. We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living, and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars, or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the fey folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchin. I'd like to invite you into the Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal, a comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self. Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls. So inspired by John Stink's story that I did an illustration of him. And the colorist I work with, Jesse Hickey, colored it. It's called John Stink Walks Towards Life. We do have prints available. Instead of doing a curiosity of the week this week, we'll just offer those prints. They're in our Etsy shop. They're 9 by 12 prints, professionally printed on watercolor paper. Not to pat my back, it's really more the printer and Jesse's coloring than anything else. <laughs> they, I think they look great. So you can get those in our Etsy shop. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. Besides the new John Stink prints, we have other prints of my artwork. We have originals of my artwork. We have all my books there. They come signed by me if you get them on Etsy. Strange Familiars t-shirts, stickers, and much more. Again, our shop name is Lost Grave. But if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. While you're on Etsy, make sure to check out our friends at Karmic Garden and Chad Shop is Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. I will also make the John Stink image available as a t-shirt at our Tee Public shop. We have tons of t-shirts at Tee Public. There's links in the show notes, lots of designs to choose from, and we'll go ahead and add this John Stink design as well. That's it for this episode of Strange Familiars. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more. Wyoming Valley Ghost Tours presents Transcendent Paranormal Conference and Vendor Fair. 
Saturday, September 17th, 2022, at the Scranton Cultural Center, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Three floors of vendors. Presentations from Jason Halls, Sherry DeBenedetti, The Paranormal Couple, Eric Altman, and Timothy Renner. For more information, email info at wyomingvalleyghosttours.com or go to facebook.com slash wyomingvalleyghosttours. That's facebook.com slash wyomingvalleyghosttours. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. You can join the Strange Familiars gathering group there. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word. Give us a follow, please. And we are on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
Eyes. Nice.